Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. I got lost today again, and I kind of liked it. <laughs> Actually, I was really intrigued uh, all along the way. I had to go up to Lincroft because our oldest daughter had a rehearsal up there, and instead of deciding to drive back and forth, I decided to go find a coffee shop and just hang out for a couple hours. And so I put into my phone, of course, coffee shop, and find one that's just down the road. And so I start following the GPS, and it takes me around this turn. And as I come around this turn, I just see this wide open green space and this huge building off in the distance. And I am like, am I going the right way? And I look back at the GPS, of course, yep, I'm going the right way. Okay, I keep going. Well, finally, I realized that this is the Bell Works property. This is the, if you're not familiar with that, it's the reimagined Bell Labs property in Homedale. And the, seriously, it is beautiful. There's like ponds and fountains, and it's a glorious fall day. And so I'm like, why not? Let's go for an adventure. And so I pull up, I park, and I'm there, and I'm looking at the outside of this huge building, and I'm like, the coffee shop is in this building, and I am super confused, but I go ahead and I head into the building. And when you go into the building, I've got a picture. This is what the inside of one of the parts of the building looks like. See, it's, it's gorgeous. It's this huge open atrium, all this natural light, and the upper floors are all office space, and along the bottom floor is retail, and there's all sorts of shops. And, and so it's, I'm, I think, yeah, this is an incredible space, but it was wasn't even the space that really drew me in. It was when I realized in the middle of the atrium, there, this wasn't actually today's picture. I had to go find this because I was thinking about it later, but there were all these booths set up and the booths were interesting. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on there. And as I get a little closer, I see a guy dressed like Captain America and then another guy like Batman and a woman with red hair in some sort of pink tights and a silver cape and boots. And I am really starting to wonder what's going on. And as I get close, I finally realized, yeah, it's Halloween, but that wasn't the draw. The draw was I had stumbled upon the Jersey Shore Comic Expo, <laughs> having no idea. So I think this is really interesting. And then I'm like, well, what else is here? And so I start walking around and I'm seeing all these shops and there's hair salons and there's wellness places and there's a virtual reality arcade, indoor golfing. The Homedale Library has a branch in there, like all these different things, restaurants. And on the other end of the building, I, find, I run into an indoor farmer's market. And so I'm like, what's going on here? And there's cupcakes and cookies and soaps and all sorts of crafts and things like that. And eventually I see some dogs running through. I'm serious, I'm not making this up. There are these dogs now running through and I realize, okay, what's going on here? And I, I follow the dogs and find out, oh, there's actually a dog costume party that's happening. And I, like. I don't know what this place is, but I have to go back over and over. It was so engaging, so intriguing. 
Like, and I just kept being so curious. Like, where does that come from in us? Like, we have this curiosity. We're intrigued by situations and by people, and we want to learn more. See, that's a key. That's a key to our effort as we think about going and serving. So we've been in this sermon series, Go and Serve, together for a number of weeks now. And this series primarily comes to us from John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. And what that means as it comes to us is that we, as the followers of Jesus, have been caught up in the great mission of God. The mission where God has sent his son to bring salvation to the world. He has sent us as his church into the world to continue the mission of bringing healing and restoration everywhere there's brokenness. And that we are also to seek to bring into alignment life, all of life, under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ the King. And so tonight we're going to be thinking about the role of intrigue as we are on this mission. And so we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 4. If you'd like to follow along on the screen, feel free, but let's listen together for God's word as he speaks to us this evening. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word. Thank you that we don't have to be feeling around in the dark for some sort of direction and guidance, but you've given us the gift of your word and the presence of your spirit to lead our thinking. And so we invite you in this time to speak to us, to work within us, to shape us from the inside out, that we could be your people as you are our God. It's in the name of Jesus that we trust and we pray. Amen. So this letter of the Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written by Paul while he is participating in the same mission that we participate in. He had been sent. He had been sent on a number of missionary journeys. He had traveled near and far spreading the hope that he had in Jesus Christ, and now he finds himself actually in prison. Literally, as he says in the passage, in chains. And yet, he continues the work that he's been called to. He's, he's encouraging these new followers of Jesus that are the church in, of the Colossians. And so, in this passage, he begins by inviting them to devote themselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, to be committed, devoted to prayer. In other words, it all, everything they're going to do derives from prayer. And actually, we're going to not just devote ourselves to prayer, we're going to devote our entire next week talking about the role of prayer in the midst of our life on mission. 
And so we're going to get into that more for us today or next week. But for today, I want to zero in on Paul asking them to pray for him. He asked these new Christians to pray for him. We sometimes think of Paul like Paul, you know, and we should. He should have incredible reverence and honor and respect. But we tend to sometimes put people on this kind of a pedestal where they're no longer human beings, and Paul was very much human. He demonstrates that in this moment where he's saying to these brand new followers of Jesus, pray for me. In other words, in that one moment, he's telling them, your prayers matter. Your prayers matter. It doesn't matter if you've been a follower of Jesus for a short time, a long time. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself mature and a, and a pillar of faith or if your faith is as teeny tiny as a mustard seed. Your prayers matter. It also tells us that no one is above the need for prayer. Sometimes we're like, deflect our need, you know, we tend, tend to have, other, no, 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 we'll pray about other people, but not about me. Paul's like, hey, come on, bring it, pray for me. He knows, he doesn't, he's not above the need for prayer, and so he's asking them to come along and pray for him, but what does he ask them to pray for? And this is the amazing part, when we think about this is Paul, in chains, in prison, what does he pray for? He doesn't pray for security. He doesn't pray for comfort. He doesn't pray for release from prison. He doesn't pray for freedom. He prays that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that God may open a door for our message. He could be praying that, open the door. in other words, open the door of opportunity you can imagine, I mean, he's in chains, he's in prison. There's probably not all that many folks that he's getting to interact with, right? And so he's praying that there would be more people, more opportunities to proclaim this mystery that he says he has to share of Jesus Christ. But he also could be praying that God would open the door of people's hearts, of their mind, of their will. Paul knows that it doesn't matter what he says, Unless God is at work stirring a person's heart and allowing, giving them an openness, there will be a resistance. And so he knows, as good as an evangelist as he is, and he's an incredible evangelist. That word, I know, evangelist, evangelism, that's like a scary word. It's come on hard times. It's gotten co-opted and politicized, but it comes right out of the scripture. It really means to proclaim the good news. Right? Evangelism is the good news, sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news, the good news of Jesus, not a political good news. All right, let's just, let's bring it back to what it's about. Let's demystify the word. It's about proclaiming the mystery of Christ. And he knows that he can't do it on his own. God has got to be at work in people's lives or, or else we as humans will put up walls and barriers and deflect and resist. And so God himself has got to work to bring down the walls so that he can proclaim the mystery of Christ. See, this evangelism is about proclaiming Jesus and Jesus is a mystery. Like, if you've been in church for a long time, may not, he may not feel as mysterious as perhaps he should because he is the God of the universe taking on flesh. That's kind of a mystery that should hurt our brains some. 
And he's bigger than we tend to give him credit for, more able to do whatever it is that he intends to do. His will is not our will. His perspective is not our perspective. So it should be a mystery who he is in the first place. But we tend to domesticate him, make him fit how we want him to fit or fit into a mold and a model and a formula that makes us feel comfortable. Paul says, I've got a mystery to proclaim. The mystery is that this God of the universe would love us. Again, we take that for granted if you've been around and it's, it's really, you know, kind of culturally, of course God loves us. No, do we really think about that? That in the, the space of the universe, give it a multiverse if you want, I don't care. In the space of all of that, God himself would actually care about us. David was so clear. Who am I that you would be mindful of me? I am nothing. In the vast course of history, I am nothing. And yet you, God, you love me. Not only do you love me, God, you would come and take on flesh. You would enter into your creation. You who are outside of creation would step into creation, would limit yourself to the point that you would experience suffering and pain and even death itself so that we can live so that we can live forever? So that though I am never going to be good enough or worthy enough, you will call me beloved, you will call me precious, you will call me yours? That is a mystery. A deep and profound mystery that God would give his son for us. And so Paul is praying that they would pray or asking them to pray that God would open the doors, that he could proclaim this message and that there would be wide openness. Oh yeah, and proclaim that I may proclaim it clearly. Pray that, you know, pray that I don't stumble over myself. Pray that I don't get it mixed up. Pray that I don't get it confused. Man, the humility here. Paul is a gifted evangelist. He is gifted at proclaiming Jesus Christ and yet he asks for the grace to not mess it up. <laughs> Man, there's a humility involved in going out into the mission in the world, one that is so important. A humility that I think is an expectation that Paul is, is modeling for them as he then turns and says, okay, now you, you all, be wise in how you approach outsiders. Right? That he's saying, the way you act in the world the way you encounter and engage those who don't know this mystery and who don't believe, be wise in the way you act toward them. Right? This whole passage, Paul is zeroing in on this work of proclaiming a faith in Jesus Christ and inviting others to believe. That's what it's about. Because that's what the church is about. That's what this mission is about. Right? The church exists for those who aren't here. It ex we exist, yes, to care and love one another, but if we also don't realize that we exist for those who are not already in the family, then we've missed the point and we've abandoned the family business. So Paul's saying, be wise in how you act towards outsiders. I mean, what does this mean to be wise? To be wise is to know how to act and then act accordingly. Or that I was 
meeting with a, a couple who's going to get married here in a couple of months, and they were talking about how their parents had instilled, one of them was telling how their parents had instilled in them never to go to bed angry. And it's great to know that. They actually modeled it beautifully. They lived wisely, right, to know how to act and then act accordingly. Right. You know, companies in America are really often more wise than the church because they know how to act and act accordingly because they know what their goal is and they know then what they need to do. You think about it. If they're trying to get people to buy their products, they have to know how to get people to buy their products and then do those things. Well, they're really good at it, aren't they? Because sometimes it's about an amazing product. It's almost always about people and about how people work and act and think and what motivates us. You know, Starbucks is, well, you may have an opinion about Starbucks, but you cannot deny that they are an incredibly successful company. And the founder, Howard Schultz, sums up their whole philosophy this way. He says, we're not in the coffee business serving people, but in the people business serving coffee. We're not, in the, we're not in the coffee business serving people, but in the people business serving coffee. Yet, they have a great product. I like it. My preferred. But they understand that it's not about the coffee, it's about the people, and they tailor the entire experience for the person. They tailor their app. They tailor the in-person in conversations. They train their baristas. They give freedom to be playful and thoughtful. And they, they make sure to reinforce that it's about the experience and the hospitality. It's about the other. And if we focus on the other, then they're going to want the product. And sometimes companies act more wisely than the church. See, and, and if, if it's our business to help those who don't know Jesus, to understand the mystery and to believe, then we too have to live wisely, to know how to act and act accordingly. We need to be informed about those who don't know and who do not believe. This is what Paul did everywhere he went. He was a learner. Paul was an incredible learner. He went and learned the philosophers and the poets. And he could, he could quote them. We actually see it in the scripture. He's quoting Greek poets and philosophers in order to try to help them understand the mystery of Christ. He's learning what makes them tick, what motivates them, what do they value, and then translating, the, not changing, translating the gospel of Jesus Christ into language and pictures that they could grab onto so they could understand. And we do well to continue to be learners just as Paul was a learner. The world's changed. You may have noticed and those who are not a part of churches, what makes them tick? What are they motivated by? What do they value? Do you know? How can you find out if you don't know? There's lots that you can read. But Paul did it by talking to them, by engaging in conversations, by being curious about them trying to discover who they are, what are they about. 
We, we do well to understand that those who are not a part of the church in America, by and large, think they already know what we have to offer. This was different than Paul's day. Paul lived in a pre-Christian era, meaning the world didn't know this mystery of Christ and didn't even know the name of Jesus Christ. And so he had a whole lot of work just to help them have some understanding and some background and, and piece together all, all of the picture. We live in a post-Christian society where the people who aren't part of churches either were at one point and have left or haven't really ever been, but they already are pretty sure they know what we have to offer and what we have to offer isn't very attractive. And they base that on us, the people, the followers of Jesus. Which is why Paul is so insistent and why we have to be insistent on being wise as we go and interact with the world. Be thoughtful and intentional. Know what makes them tick. Translate the gospel in ways that are helpful. And he says, make the most of every opportunity. Actually, literally in Greek, he says, buy up the time. That's literally what it says. Buy up the time. What a great phrase. What's the greatest resource that we have at our disposal? It's time, isn't it? Time is traded for money, so it's greater than money. Time is how we build relationships. Time is how anything of significance happens, right? Time is our greatest resource. And so we want to make sure not to waste it. So buy it up as if it's the most precious thing you could possibly get, as if you're one of those folks going to the Jersey Shore Comic Expo and you have found the original of every comic series there ever was, buy it up, because it's the most valuable thing you could possibly come across. <laughs> Moses has this prayer captured in Psalm 90. He says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we will fly away. <laughs> Time goes so quickly. We only have so much. And the others in our lives only have so much, too. And their time will come short. Our time will come short, and Paul is desperate to not let us waste any of the interactions that we will have. Don't waste one. It's too precious. How we live matters. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, Paul was a gifted evangelist, and so he needed to use that gift everywhere we went. But often when we talk about this evangelism and sharing faith, most of the rest of us get a little tight. And we start feeling like, yes, I need to do this, and I don't think I can do this. I want to do this even, but there's no way it's going to happen. We just get so clammed up. I think there's something beautiful that Paul is giving us as a gift in this passage. He's saying, for those who have the gift of evangelism, let's pray for them that every opportunity and every door would fly wide open. But for the rest of us, let's focus on just making the most of every, every opportunity that we have to live wisely and act accordingly. A professor of mine at, at seminary says, that we are called to live lives of intrigue. These lives that cause others to be curious and wonder. 
Where does intrigue and curiosity come from? I think it comes from when we encounter something that we don't know, that we don't understand, we don't expect, and we're not immediately offended or afraid of it. Then we're intrigued. It might be a new food, and you might be interested because of how it looks, or then you come over and then it smells like something, and you're like, oh, I am not intrigued anymore. I'm offended, right? Or you might come closer and it smells nice, and so it's like, okay, uh, it's drawing me in. I'll, I'll come a little bit closer, and maybe, even maybe, I'll take a bite. I'm intrigued. See, Paul's saying, make the most of every opportunity. Live lives of intrigue so that those who are on the outside who don't know and believe might have a curiosity and an intrigue that would make them want to taste it. That's where our focus should be, to live lives that are so intriguing that those around us will notice and wonder, I want to know what that tastes like. And as we think about going and serving together that we've been talking about over these numbers of weeks, our service in and of itself may be intriguing to the world. It certainly was for the early church. This was actually one of the primary ways that they began to spread the, the faith of Christianity. And it was actually the, the Romans started to become concerned because what they realized was these Christians keep growing and growing and growing, and here's the way they're doing it. They're scooping up the babies that are being left outside of towns to just die in the cold. They're moving into the cities where the plagues are ravaging people, and they're caring for the sick, even those who aren't among their company. This is so crazy. And they're taking care of widows? Who does that? Their lives were so foreign to the values of the day, but so in alignment with the kingdom of God that the whole society said, we don't get it. But they more and more and more wondered, why? Why are you doing this? Why do you live this way? And because of that, they then had the opportunity, as Paul says in this passage, to give an answer to the question. Be ready to give an answer, he says. Be ready. Live lives of such incredible intrigue that people want to ask you a question and then be ready with the answer. And so service itself may be, in fact, intriguing, or maybe it's the manner in which we go and serve. Because there's a lot of entities that are serving in the world doing good things that are really important, and I'm grateful. We partner with all sorts of different organizations doing things. But when we go and serve as the followers of Jesus, we're invited to go and serve in a way that brings intrigue, that our character is actually shaped differently because we're reflecting Jesus, not just ourselves. We're reflecting him and his care and his compassion. And so we're being invited to continue to be transformed, to be more like Jesus so that our lives actually look different. You know, the world is desperate to know that there's a better way to live. I mean, you can just see it everywhere. You see it in, all over Facebook and Instagram and any social media. You see it all over the news. You see it all over that people are desperate to know that in these days, there is a better and different way to live. 
Is there a way to live that's filled with joy? Is it possible? Is there a life that can be lived with patience and gentility and love? Can you speak and tell the truth but do it in a way that's not just to to win a victory or to tear somebody else apart? Can we actually be different? And the world's not sure. And yet this is the role of the church, to be a different people, to be salt of the earth, light of the world, as Jesus says, to be so different that the people will wonder, what is that about? (laughs) Because here's the thing, service and evangelism are not separate things. They are always intended to be together. The mission of God is not in pieces, it is integrated. And so as you go and serve, you may in fact have the opportunity, as a matter of fact, we should pray for the opportunity for you to be ready to give an answer. We should pray with expectation, with hope, with the, that the opportunity that those who don't know Jesus, you will have the chance to give an answer, to speak, as Paul says, graciously, gently, kindly, Oh, and with conversations that are seasoned with salt. That's different than being salty. <laughs> right? Like, you know some salty people. You know, that's, they're not very fun to talk with. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying seasoned with salt. It actually is a term from his day, which would have been more indicative of, like, lighthearted with whimsy, with fun even. Like, I think Paul could actually be saying, make sure your conversations aren't boring. Because talking about Jesus should never be boring. Because it is a profound mystery, what he has done for us. And so be ready to give an answer to that question. Hey, you're weird, why? They probably won't say it that way because they'll probably be a lot nicer and a little more confused. But, hey, what's up with you? There's just, there's something different about you. And it's the opportunity to proclaim the mystery of Christ in your own life. (laughs) Oh, let me tell you, just like we sang, I'm a nobody. (laughs) But I want to tell everybody about someone who loves someone like me. I am unworthy. (laughs) I'm nothing, but the God of the universe said he cares for me so much that he sent his son who served me, who didn't leave me isolated in my loneliness and in my unworthiness, who got dirty. He served me to the point of enduring a brutal death on a cross. He died so I can live, so that I can be loved. You don't have to have a beautiful theological argument prepared. You just have to be ready to proclaim the mystery of a God who would love somebody like you. If you've experienced that in your life, then you have a story to tell. You have an answer to give. Are you ready to give it? I hope so. Fred Shepard was an American medical missionary. And he served for over 30 years in the Ottoman Empire in what is now central Turkey. He had this huge, this major medical relief center, and he served Armenians and Kurds and Turks. And in 1915, he contracted typhus because he was working among the Armenians who were victims of the Armenian genocide. 
And eventually he, he died. And there was one Armenian that was reflecting on his life, and this is what he said. He said, I've never seen Jesus, but I've seen Dr. Shepherd. <laughs> I've never seen Jesus with, with my eyes. I've never seen Jesus, but I've seen Dr. Shepherd. And what he was getting at is, when I saw Dr. Shepherd, I saw Jesus. I saw in him a life that was intriguing. Because I saw in him a life of sacrificial, compassionate, loving service. One who was willing to love, uh, love those that others hated and persecuted. That I saw someone who was serving in such a way that his very life pointed to Jesus. So you don't have to go across the country to live that kind, or across the world to live that kind of life, to live a life of intrigue. Just continue to be transformed by the mystery of Christ, of a God who loves you, and to go and serve those maybe who the world wouldn't serve, to live with such a character that Jesus is reflected in you so that people start to wonder, I don't know what's up with that one, but I want to know. And when they ask, will you be ready to give an answer? Because Unless we give that answer, unless we point to Jesus, they will never know. And there's only a little time left for them to know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this profound mystery that you would love us. God, we know we are not good enough. We know we can't do enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't sacrifice enough. And so we thank you that it was your delight and your pleasure to love us from the beginning, and it was your will to send your son so that though he would die, we would live, so that we could be called your precious, your treasured, your beloved children. Lord God, may that truth continue to reverberate in our heart, our mind, and our soul and transform us into people who are compassionate and joyful and patient and generous and loving. God, that our lives would be lives of intrigue. That a watching world would wonder and they would ask and that we'd have the chance to say, it's because of Jesus. Lord, make us bold. Make us courageous. Fill us with your love that as we go and serve, we would love as you would love. That you would continue your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.